Welcome to Launchpad, the unique radio show and podcast that celebrates new book releases and the authors that created them. Now, let's take off with your host, Grace Salmon. Hello and welcome. This is Launchpad. I am so excited about today's episode. So on behalf of Mary Helen Sheriff, the book author marketing coach and myself Grace Salmon welcome to season two episode 10 and to these amazing authors we're going to have a fabulous episode today we record in front of a live audience so if you have comments or questions we can see them please pop them in under the comments below and we'll try to get to every single one of them this episode is special for so many reasons these authors come to us us as friends, they are colleagues, but listen to some of the things that they have done. They are New York Times recognized, international bestsellers, bestsellers. They are psychoanalysts, ballet dancers. Uh, they are university professors. They have done so many amazing things. I'm so thrilled to have them with me today. So let me quickly, before we ask them to chat with us, I would like to introduce Dion Ford, author of the memoir, Go Back and Get It. So happy to have you here, Dion. We have Shauna Edwards and Allison Richmond, who have co-written the novel, The Thread Collectors. And last, and definitely not least, Lisa Williamson Rosenberg, who's written a novel that I'm luckily halfway through called Embers on the Wind. Welcome to each and every one of you, and welcome to everybody who is watching us across our multiple Facebook channels. So hello, everyone. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi. Dion, let's start with you. I'm captivated by your book because it got inspired by a very unusual discovery. Tell us about your book. Go back and get it. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. And here's my book. I hope I'm showing it correctly. There you go. <laughs> so yes, the title of my memoir is Go Back and Get It. It comes from the Akan word Sankofa. And that's what the book is about. It's about going back and getting the story of my ancestors after I find a picture of them on the internet. In the photo, my great-great-grandmother, Timpy Burton, sits in between the couple who enslaved her, Colonel W.R. Stewart, a wealthy Louisiana cotton broker, and his wife, Elizabeth McCauley. Elizabeth couldn't have children, but my great-great-grandmother, Timpy, could. And she had six of them with the colonel. My great-grandmother, Josephine, was their youngest child. The picture mirrored the interracial family I'd created with my husband, and it mirrored the sexual violence foundational to slavery. Take, it was taken in the early 1890s, 25 years after slavery ended. And so as a survivor of sexual assault myself, I wondered why Tempe would pose for what amounted to a family portrait with the couple who stole, stole her freedom so long after slavery ended. To find out, I traveled around the country uncovering the stories of the people in that photo, my relatives, and in the process, a breach began to mend in me. Through recovering their stories, I began to heal. So Go Back and Get It is my personal journey, but it's also a deeply American tale of reckoning, hope, and healing. You gave me chills. One more book at the top of my TBR list. This is amazing. What, a, what an amazing discovery. And I'll, I'll ask you more about that in a minute. But let's go to, because we have such great stories across the board here. Shauna Edwards is the 
Harvard educated. I don't know if I mentioned that in the introduction about we've got Harvard, we've got NYU, we've got Wesley, we've got great people here. So Shauna, Harvard educated, NYU law degree, debut novel, The Thread Collectors. Tell us about it. Absolutely. Well, this has been my legacy project written with my decades-long friend, Allison Richmond. And so many of the things that Dion just mentioned, it gave me chills too, because while we have a novel, those themes are resonant. In The Thread Collectors, we have two couples. One is a Louisiana enslaved couple, Stella, who is biracial, and she's basically in sexual bondage herself. And she's got this beloved, who is a Black man, brilliant musician, William. And um, clandestine evening, Stella is actually sewing these tactile maps out of repurposed cloth and thread to help other enslaved men run to join the Union Army on the battlefields of Louisiana. I'm from Louisiana myself. Our musician, William, he meets Jacob Kling, who is a German Jewish immigrant inspired by one of Allison's own ancestors on the battlefields of Louisiana. He has a fiery abolitionist wife in New York and she's in a quilting circle herself. So you have these four couple, these four people, two couples from very different backgrounds, all against the backdrop of the Civil War. But it's really the friendship between these two men, one Jewish and one black on the battlefields that intertwines these couples. Okay, TBR list is growing. And that's certainly one of the things that we want on Launchpad to have you fall in love with your next author and fall in love with your next book. Shauna, how did you and Allison come to write this? Or Allison, maybe I should ask you that. <laughs> well, as uh, Shauna alluded to, we've been friends for over a decade. And our friendship has always been cemented in our mutual love of books. And actually, the first time I ever met Shauna, she disclosed that she had always dreamt of writing a novel someday. And so we met one afternoon, maybe I think in 2017, and I had always been dreaming of a Civil War novel because of my own family history. As you know, Shauna mentioned, I, I do have a great, great, great uncle who was a, a musician in the Union Army, but his brother actually joined the Confederacy. He was a Jewish immigrant as well, went down to Mississippi and joined the Confederate Army when the Civil War broke out. So I had always hoped to sort of mine that fraternal relationship between two brothers who were immigrants themselves to a new country, but yet choose opposing sides during the Civil War. And Sean and I started talking that we you know we can talk about it more at depth after um, Lisa's gotten a chance to introduce her uh, novel. But Sean and I started just building story together one day. And I just realized that she would be a perfect partner for writing a novel in which we can explore the Civil War through two underrepresented lenses, one Black and one Jewish. I love, one of the things I love doing on Launchpad mm -hmm. is to try to find the common thread between stories. So already mm -hmm. we have some of these common threads. And I loved that your title of your book was The Thread Collector. So I said, oh, this is going to be so much easier <laughs> for me. We do have wonderful people who are joining us. Lee Bukowski, thanks for being with us. Thanks for thinking this is a great panel. I'm thrilled. Renee Winchester is um, wonder, loving the backstory. Michelle Ann Waite, thank you. Bambi, thank you. Uh, so let's get directly to Lisa. And I have to thank Lisa Rosenberg because she's really responsible for getting this panel together for us. When Launchpad opened up for season two, Lisa reached out and said, Grace, I think I have a wonderful mix of people. So I'm so thrilled to um, thank you publicly, Lisa, for bringing us this panel. Now tell us about 
embers on the wind. Okay. Well, first of all, you're so welcome. And I'm really excited about this because I've, you know, known a little bit about Dion's journey and, you know, can't wait to read her, her uh, memoir. And I, of course, loved the thread collectors, which I think I grabbed because my background is that, you know, I, I'm a, a multiracial, my Jewish mother and black father and our histories you know, merge in different kinds of ways. So that was fascinating. And I enjoyed the book very much. So Embers on the Wind actually goes back and forth between 1850, the age of enslavement and um, 2019, um, which is, and, and it revolves around um, Whitaker House, which is an underground railroad safe house turned 20th century Airbnb. And it's uh, a multi-time period sort of novel in linked stories a la Olive Kitteridge kind of homegoing and um, just one of my favorite one of my favorite books of stories I just read which is Brandon Taylor's Filthy Animals which also has that interlock interlinked stories theme which I really love um, and you know anyway it, the Whitaker House is sort of it's this underground railroad safe house turned airbnb as i said and it, it it's touched the lives of of black women over the centuries from the age of enslavement as i said to 2019 um so in the 19th century freedom seekers you know african-american people uh, escaping enslavement they hid in the root cellar uh later on modern black women are drawn to the house seeking answers about themselves and their connection to slavery um for example there's pam who's a teenager growing up in a housing project in boston in the 1980s and she's invited to whitaker house under the auspices of a leadership trip for her kind of cohort of inner city kids and she encounters um some mysterious goings, goings on, including possibly a ghost. Um, Dominique is a single mother uh, from, she's French Canadian descent and she follows her grandmère's stories back to Whitaker House to see if she can find the, the path of an ancestor. Um, her lover is Michelle, who is got, who's instructed to return to the Berkshires to heal from her own childhood traumas. Uh, Michelle's sister, Kay, who has a very special connection to Whitaker House that she herself doesn't know about, is a seer who can kind of envision the, the past and uh, the secrets of Whitaker House along with her own secrets. Um, and Galen is a Black young psychologist and new mom with postpartum depression, and she and her husband um, seek respite from their busy lives and, and kind of high pressure Brooklyn mother environment um, and they get away for a, a Memorial Day weekend at this very special uh, Whitaker house and it, it doesn't go quite the way one would hope your vacation goes and I won't say any more about that. No it does not um, and uh, Victoria Kent K loved your novel Lisa so it's lovely to have oh, you with okay. us. Hi Victoria. It's my cousin. <laughs> Well, I, th this yeah. is one of the reasons I love Launchpad so much. We get yeah. some interaction with people who have questions about our books and also have read our books. One of the, th there are two themes that came mm -hmm. through over and over again for me. And one was uh, this idea of 
not this idea, this reality of enslavement and all that that meant in terms of physical abuse mm -hmm. and sexual abuse and how that is mirrored in some of your own personal lives, but also the idea of freedom and what it means to be free. Because Lisa, even in your book, that's so, something mm -hmm. that your present day characters will not enslaved people mm -hmm. as they were in the 1800s. Sure. Mm -hmm. so let's each of you talk a little bit about that idea of what it means to be free. And I'd like to go back to Dion for that, because I'm still fascinated by how your great great sat there between the two of them. So talk yeah. about what it means to be free and the search for freedom there. Sure. I, I'm so glad that you bring up this topic, because I think it's um, underexplored when it comes to enslaved women. Often we hear them spoken about only in um, the context of uh, their domination, but uh, not so much in the um, ways that they strove for autonomy within their own lives under this system. And what was so exciting for me was to see the many ways that my great-great-grandmother Tempe did reach for autonomy. You know, she was a devout um, Methodist, Episcopal, um, and uh, that comes up a lot in um, newspaper articles about her, particularly mm -hmm. when she died, just how devout she was. And I was able to trace that thread. You know, I grew up in the um, first Methodist church and then African Methodist Episcopal church. And so it was really exciting to see that something that I originally thought must have come from the, the dominating part of my my ancestry actually had deep roots from the enslaved women in my family. So that's just one of the ways that comes to mind. Um, but there were other ways, you know, she, Tempe ended up being a, a property owner. I mean, a woman in Mississippi owning property, amazing, and uh, found a way to, you know, hand down that property to two of her girls. So exciting to me. So these were just things that I feel, um, you know, definitely aren't talked about that much, you know, um, and that, that were just really empowering for me um, as I continue to kind of look to, you know, my own autonomy within a very patriarchal society, even mm -hmm. in 2023. Well, let's have both Shauna and Allison address this same question because I, and I love that Dion, you said, part of the thread of your own story. So we're definitely going with the thread collection <laughs> and collectors throughout this. Because when I'm listening to the four of you, I'm also just seeing that even though those of you who wrote about the past, we're really empowering women today at the same mm -hmm. time. So Allison and Shauna, just jump in on that from your common experience in this book and in the story you so beautifully weave. Well, Shauna, I definitely think you should, you know, when Dion was talking about uh, her, you know, great, great relative, um, Timpy owning land, it made me think of Janie and how we were, when we started to dream about this book, that you had a, a relative of yours who was also a, 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 land, a woman who was a landowner, right? So Absolutely. Um, so uh, all of the characters in our novel are inspired to one degree or another by our family historians, but our black matriarch, Janie, she is inspired by a great, 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 great aunt of mine, Janie Roach, who managed to become financially independent and a landowner. And she was definitely in my mind. Um, I think we also wanted to resist this narrative of 
blackness, even at the time of civil war, that it was a monolith. It's one of the reasons why we set a lot of the action in New Orleans, where I'm from, because we have free black characters in our novel. And people are like, wait, there were free black people in the South. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have um, a biracial heroine who also has a fully black sister who's essentially living in a subordinate position within her home. Like they're both enslaved, but it's a different level of comfort. Um, I think when you boil it down, though, the opposite of enslavement is choice. And I think all of our characters are looking for choice. And while they might not have ultimate choice, you do have the choice to use what you have to try to help. So when Stella collects threads and she's covertly sewing these maps, she can't just run away, but she can take the information she's able to glean and help someone else make a choice. And I I guess I don't want to say that freedom can be incremental because I... I absolutely don't believe that. I think everyone deserves absolute freedom. But I do think that journey towards freedom is really a lot of what we're exploring in our novel. A, a beautiful answer. Allison, can you piggyback on that too? Because you're um, from the Jewish side of the family. There's also a lack of freedom. There is, there's, a, there's um, definitely restrictions of freedom um, and the sense of otherness and outsidership um, enduring a different type of racism uh, and and bigotry, being a Jewish soldier and a foreigner in a new country. I think Sean and I, you know, one thing that we should probably make clear is that we we came up with our characters together. It was very important for us to create one narrative voice. We did not have, mm-hmm. you know, me writing the Jewish characters and, and Shauna writing the black. So we built these strong female characters with so much of our heart and our soul, our mind, and also drawing from, you know, our unique family experiences and perspectives. When we were creating Lily, the, the female Jewish protagonist, it was very important uh, to echo what Shauna was saying about resourcefulness and being um, courageous in a difficult time and how one was going to contribute to the union effort with everything they possibly could. And so, you know, we look towards Ernestine Rose, who was a Jewish abolitionist and suffragette. Uh, she became the sort of real life character we threaded through the novel to mentor the character of Lily, because Lily is born a mother. Well, not, she's becomes a, a motherless uh, child. Her mother, you know, dies early on in her childhood. And so we were building from that and also thinking about what stories were passed down to me about my my grandmother, my, my great-great-grandmother, uh, who would have been, I actually have a, uh, a Jewish wedding contract from Temple Emanuel in New York City that was um, the sister, my great-great grandmother was the sister to these two brothers. And so it's dated May 1863. And when I was given this by my aunt, I called Shauna and I said, you know, this is just incredulous to me that when my great great grandmother died, I mean, was married, died when she got married, Mm -hmm. um, your relatives wouldn't have been able to get married. So we were always putting that into the context of of acknowledging Mm -hmm. others' history, you know, the trauma from that history and trying to show that contrast, even though both care, you know, both underrepresented lenses that we were creating to look at the Civil War, certainly the Jewish characters had more freedom than the black characters, even though they didn't have as many freedoms, let's say, as, you know, a white, uh, you know, Christian person at that time. And I should use that word freedom, you know, cautiously, Mm -hmm. because they were free, but at the same time, they were looked at with a very different lens. Absolutely. And Lisa, you're really the one who inspired me to look at this idea of freedom and what it 
means to be free. And I love, you know, in your work, you're the psychotherapist in the group, you specialize in trauma. Mm -hmm. And talk a little bit about why your story got captured this way, and how you play with that idea of freedom mm -hmm. that was not available sure. to slave people. So, yeah. so my, so I think my book is the only one that wasn't inspired by my direct ancestors. Um, although, you know, I had my great grandfather was enslaved. So my, my people have their children old in my family. So you don't have to go back. My, my grandparents, my father's parents were born in 1880 and 1882. Um, but I have uh, the woman who inspired Clementine, who is the, she, she runs away to Whitaker house. She's 16 years old and she escapes enslavement and she's pregnant. And um, she is based on a woman who died in Whitaker, the, the house that belonged to my father-in-law, that was his summer house in the Berkshire mountains. I, my father-in-law and stepmother-in-law's house in the Berkshire mountains. Um, that was a former stop on the underground railroad and uh, escaped freedom seekers would hide in the root cellar. And so that's where this, this book came from a legend that a, a freedom seeking woman died in the house, not the root cellar. But I, so I always, when I would visit the house, I would think about this woman and apparently her ghost haunted the house, even though I never actually met her, but I would, um, walk around at night in the house because I'm a night owl wondering who she was, who she'd been, why she died and what she would think of me, a black woman in the 21st century on vacation in this place. And, and my husband and his family are white and Jewish. And so I'm the only black person, the only black adult, you know, it was even when after my children were born, the only black adult that maybe she's seen since she died. And what would her ghost think of me? And that was where the story came from. And the first story I wrote was the story of the birthing room, which is um, a, a sort of a mind melding situation between Clementine, this young ghost who dies in the house. Um, I, I can't give a spoiler away, but she dies in the house while giving birth and um, has a confrontation with a slave catcher called a patty roller in those days. So she kind of mind melds Clementine with Galen, who is this, you know, upper class psychologist um, mom, you know, in a multiracial marriage uh, to a white man. And she also has a baby. And so they, there's this kind of merging of the two of them. And right before that happens, Galen's been thinking, what would this ghost think of me? Because she knows about, she knows that, that, there was this woman who died in the house and have I arrived? You know, I have money, I have access, I have freedom. I can go on vacation. I can afford all the fancy strollers and baby gear that I want. And yet, and so this is when we're talking about what freedoms don't we have as black women? So as a young mother, you know, running out to the store, she has to kind of do her hair and make sure her baby looks fantastic. Her baby is multiracial and looks white so she knows that somebody may look askance at her with this white baby and think, you know, maybe that that baby should be taken from her. So she's not as free as, you know, I call it the kind of mother mass, uh, the Brooklyn Park Slope mother, white mother mass, where it's sort of a badge of honor to have your hair a mess and spit up on your clothes and, you know, go, go out. Oh, I haven't showered for three days. 
Galen can't get away with that. Um, and Kay, who's another character, is also, you know, a, a, also lives in Park Slope and she's an affluent black mom. Um, and she, there's a scene where she falls in the street and smudges her coat and the realtor who sold her her million dollar brownstone walks past her with another couple and glances down at her and sees a black street woman and says to the couple, we rarely see things like that in this neighborhood. And I'm so glad we're having, you know, that's where, I'm, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, really. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. You know, I'm obviously mm -hmm. a Caucasian woman, mm -hmm. but you know, I have a multiracial family at the same time. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation and just some of the language that I think has changed over and, you would have to help me more than that. You know, enslaved people, that is now more common language than we've ever heard, right? Mm -hmm. Up until a relatively mm -hmm. short time ago, I'm not sure when uh, people moved from slaves to enslaved or BIPOC, mm -hmm. you know, that no, concept no. of the Black um, indigenous people of color. Our language is changing so much around this. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm so glad that it is. So I'm particularly happy to have this conversation with each of you. Um, so I'm totally enthralled by all of the research that went into this. But I want to go back with Dion for a minute. And I want to ask, and this is going to be the same question to each of us because amazingly we only have five more minutes left and I want to have us, I'm going to invite all of you on for a second episode. That's just going to have to happen. But um, why did each of you have to write this book and why did you have to write it now? Dion. Oh my gosh. Uh, this book I had to write really since my grandfather first mentioned his grandparents when I was 12. They always intrigued me. I needed to know them. And also there was just this part of my story as an American that never got told or got hinted at and then suppressed. Um, that was not my shame, but somehow got made my shame. And there was a very interconnectedness to that, to my own history of being of, of sexual assault. And so for me to claim this story was to also to retell the story as uh, someone who is a part of this history and is also uh, uh, not victimized by it, but uh, just living. And so that has been the thing that has kept me going. Fabulous, thank you. And we have a request from one of our viewers to please, after the episode, go in and put a link how to buy each of your books in our link. Um, when we air on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, the links to how to find you will be in those notes, but please uh, circle back in a little bit and each of the, our authors will go in there. Allison, why did you have to tell your story? And then we'll go to Shauna and we'll wind up with Lisa. Why did you have to tell your story and why now? You're on mute. Oh. Sean and I came together actually during the throes of the pandemic to write uh, The Thread Collectors. We saw this as a project that we kept on calling it our legacy project, that we wanted to leave something beautiful, historically accurate, um, something that that definitely illuminated dark periods of history that many people were not aware of, like the Battle of Port Hudson, the burning of the Colored Orphans Asylum in New York, but also to show rays of light during such a dark time. And I think those rays of light kind of transferred over to what we were experiencing sheltering in place to sort of pull us out of a time where we were all feeling very isolated and to feel that we were doing something that we were weaving in stories of our family's history, um, our country's history, and that 
when we came out of the pandemic, we were going to have something that we were truly proud of. Shana, what else would you like to say about that? Well, first, I want to say that um, it was not only the pandemic, we also came together to write this book after the murder of George Floyd. You know, our first writing day was Juneteenth, even though we had started weaving this story three years before. And I, I think for Allison and I, the bravery that we determined to show each other in terms of like telling each other what we really think, saying, no, we're not going to use this word, or here's how I hear that story when you talk about Jewish people, you know, that for us was a little bit of rebellion against what has become an increasingly divisive world. And even though our, our book was published last year, I think when we look at some of the erosion of the community between Black community and Jewish community, it's almost like we need to write it again and keep on talking about it because we have all of these marginalized people together. We should be coming together as superheroes. Mm -hmm. And that's all we really want. We want people to come together. They don't have to write a book together, but at least have that real conversation about where you're coming from. Oh, thank you. Lisa, same question. Why, you, why this book? Why now? Um, so I have always been, and I'm very much always probably will be fascinated about the continuum, the race class continuum, and how class privilege impacts black women and, and, and our history and kind of all the stories sort of play with that, you know, it looks at, at, at um, you, you know, there's even there's a, a Jewish character who is the, the Airbnb proprietress, who has sort of a moment when the very white Connecticut couple come in where she's aware of, wow, I've been blonde from a bottle, but it's always been sort of an apologetic blonde versus like the Connecticut um, sort of a difference, you know, nuances between black, white, um, upper class, affluent, and then enslaved. And so kind of how history, how history kind of molds freedom and sort of, you know, again, and as Shauna said, almost a rebellion to the conversations that have been going on, especially during the, the last, I guess, decade about, well, slavery is over. Let's talk about class and, and the conversations we have about affirmative action and what does freedom mean? So... Each of your books is so important. Um, I encourage everybody to fall in love with their next author. I have already fallen in love with four more. I want to read all of the books. And, you know, anyone who knows me, it's all about leaving your mark on the world, which is what the quilt mm -hmm. signifies behind us. And each of you have certainly done that. I want to thank and encourage uh, Dion, hold up the beautiful cover of your book, Go Back and Get It. Uh, Fabulous book, Shauna and Allison, your book, The Thread Collectors, it's already out. <laughs> Thank you so much for writing it and for being with me today. And again, definitely not least, Lisa Williams Rosenberg with her amazing book, Embers in the Wind. Thank you, everybody, for being with us. This has been a copyrighted episode of Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Take care, everybody. Great. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. This episode is copyrighted by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Thank you for visiting with us on Launchpad.